0: The Healthy Charleston podcast is brought to you by made to move physical therapy, made to move physical therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship oriented one-on-one individualized care to all of our clients. And we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at made to move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston podcast. This is your host, Hannah. Thank you so much for tuning in. I loved recording this episode with Dr. Scott Dreyer. I feel like I learned a ton. He is a performance and sports coach a licensed clinical psychologist and executive director of Performance Insight here in Charleston. If you are a youth athlete, a parent, a coach, or other care team provider of of athletes or performing artists in general, you are definitely going to get a lot out of this episode. We talk a lot about struggles that athletes face mentally and physically and strategies to manage and overcome those, things like burnout, performance anxiety, the yips, perfectionism and excessively high standards, and injuries in the rehab process. And Dr. Dreyer gives us a lot of insight on how to manage those and really leverage the role of the mind and mental health when it comes to performing as an athlete, performing as a performance artist, or really just performing as a human. And so although we talked a lot about athletes, I think so many of these strategies and tools that Scott gives us are are so useful to many people, especially entrepreneurs, business owners, high-performing individuals, recreational athletes, and anyone who struggles with some of the things that he mentioned. Scott also tells us how parents and coaches can recognize some of these signs early and what they can do to foster a healthy environment and contribute positively to their athlete's health. My goal of this podcast is to give people accurate and realistic health information and give you tools and tips that you can start doing today to improve your health. So before we start, if you get anything out of these episodes that has positively affected you, your health, or someone else's health, I'd love to know either with a, a private message on Instagram or even a podcast review. So please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston to stay in the know. Otherwise, Doctor Scott Dryer. All right, what's up, Doctor Dryer? How you doing?
1: How are you, Hannah?
0: How's your Tuesday going?
1: Tuesday's not bad. It's uh, beautiful in Charleston today. It so. is. It's
0: very nice. Yes. I feel like as soon as it gets, I mean, it's probably still what, like, eighty degrees outside, mm-hmm. but we're like, oh my gosh, it's fall. I know.
1: I know. Woke yeah. up at, I think it was sixty-two, and that yep. feels like, uh, you know, it's winter a brisk winter for I Charlestonians. And, I
0: sat on my porch with like a blanket. <laughs> it was great it was wonderful yeah
1: it's changed i know
0: so can you tell us what you do here in charleston
1: sure um let's see i'm i'm the owner operator of performance insight which is a sports psychology and performing arts mental training um practice meaning that i work with athletes and performing artists to help them achieve their best achieve their goals um kind of, uh, overcome various obstacles because athletes, performing artists, well, human beings in general, hit, hit stumbling blocks along the way where they're not achieving what I would say their, um, potential for whatever reason that might be. And, uh, myself and, uh, staff work with the athletes and performing artists to help them overcome those obstacles or achieve their goals. And, We can talk about the details of the various things that someone might come in and work with me on, but um, basically I'm a a mental training kind of head coach for athletes and performing artists.
0: Yeah, how'd you get started in all that?
1: Yes, Um, well, you know, if I were to look back at it way early, right? Not
0: that early. Not uh,
1: not that early, but I I, I was an athlete myself and played predominantly basketball, soccer, and golf. Those were my main sports, but I would play every sport. And I noticed even not just, uh, others, but, but me at various times would have, uh, in, in high pressure situations, kind of performance challenges, uh, that showed up for me. I I probably have two that I distinctly remember that, um, I would say impacted me. There was one time I had the, uh, the yips playing Mm -hmm. um, basketball. And the yips for me, which was surprising that it showed up, was that I I couldn't make a layup. Now, for those who know basketball, a layup is the easiest thing that you could do. Um, And I struggled uh, at a certain juncture. It wasn't long, thank goodness, but I was struggling to make a layup. The way I overcame that at the time was I just, uh, I spent, more hours in the gym, and I just worked on on that myself, and just kind of overrode the the muscle glitch that was happening when I would go to make a layup. But but I was like, this—it was kind of interesting and fascinating that that could show up. Um, I would say the other time that I had like that performance anxiety pressure that maybe someone might experience or feel like if they were to. I don't know. Speak in front of a crowd, you know mm-hmm. that like public Orc speaking thing, thing right? Yeah. That that's that same thing happened to me when I was playing a, a high level golf tournament, and there was a it was like I was so excited to do it, but I got to the first tee and the crowd was tremendous, and everyone's looking at you, and and all of a sudden, you know, you get your hands get a little more mm-hmm. clammy, the heart starts racing, and you feel that heart going, and the, and then. What what's happening is your your sympathetic nervous system is kicking off, right? A little bit of that at fight or flight, and the danger is you uh, your muscles tighten at that juncture, which doesn't allow you to perform the sport that you want to. So I remember on that first tee, I um, I, I did my routine. Uh, but I, I I took my best swing. I did the visualization, and I hooked the heck out of it, and it went way into the Ooh. left woods. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's and, and I was like, you did oh, all the
0: things, that all the were things, taught. yeah.
1: But but still, that that type of you know pressure absolutely impacted my physical capacity. So I don't know. I, I reflect back on those two things. Those were things just personally that occurred for me when I was playing sports. Um, I went and you know received training in counseling psychology and clinical psychology. So I got my masters at, well, I went to Lehigh University, um, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then did my masters at university of Kentucky and doctoral work at Louisville and Spalding and got my masters and doctorate in counseling and clinical psychology. Um, and so I am a clinical psychologist by my degree and, uh, by my training. However, even when I was finishing my work, I realized like I wanted to work with more high-performing individuals. Uh, I I wasn't, it it was tough, there was some burnout working with the more difficult populations. And so even at the end of my doctoral training, I started doing uh, business psychology, performance psychology, getting mentoring in those areas. Uh, My my dissertation ended up being more on uh, business psychology. It wasn't on clinical. And then post that time, I met and got mentorship from sports psychologists in South Carolina and Florida, took courses and became much more familiar with how to help athletes and performing artists with, you know, the sport aspect or the mental aspect of their sport. And I've been doing that since 2001 here in Charleston with Performance Insight. And, uh, you know, so that's, that is kind of my, my, my one of my main roles right now. I've, main I've, gig. I've, I've got another gig, we can talk about that maybe later, but right yeah. now that's where my main gig that's is.
0: That's your main gig, yeah. yeah. When I was in high school, this would have been so useful and I, I mean, I was in high school in what, 2009 to 2013 and I don't remember anyone. And like, I was in a smaller town in Tennessee, but I don't remember anyone mentioning that this was a resource and I struggled. I was also, I was a volleyball player and then I was also a singer. I was in a, in a band, but also in choir. Um, and I struggled. I don't know if you'd call it the, the yips and like, I'm very interested to kind of learn what more of what that is, but I had a really great serve, volleyball serve. Okay. There would be games where I would just lose it, and there'd be games where I would I would literally win the game because the team couldn't respond to my serve. And you're, then there
1: you were acing and pretty much everything. But yeah. then
0: there'd be some games where I I couldn't hit it. Like I, it was so weird. And I remember kind of doing the same thing that you did. Me and my dad would go to the court like every day across from our house and just serve over and over and over again. But I don't ever remember. Being taught anything else that I could do,
1: right, right. The, the 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 mental tools and they weren't available to me, or at least I didn't know where to get them. Um, I there there were sports psychologists back in the day, but that wasn't uh, a part of a coach's knowledge or the curriculum. So there, there really wasn't back then that type of support available. Nowadays, you know and not just high school teams and high school coaches are familiar with this, but most of the universities Mm -hmm. have a certified mental performance consultant or sports psychologist on staff, or if they don't, they have connected in -hmm. in the community like I am with some of the schools here for that, um, which makes a big difference. I I wish I had it. I wish you had it Mm -hmm. too, right? Right? I mean, you did the right thing. It's just, it would have been nice to have known what also to do mentally, Mm -hmm. not, what to just do physically Um, yeah and same for me yeah
0: so on on that note i mean i know we we call it the yips what exactly does that mean and i'd also be interested to know like are there kind of predisposing risk factors are there signs but just what what are the yips
1: yeah well the yips are it's a it's a neuromuscular like like glitch it's almost like if you're your laptop kind of went to like the black screen or something like that. And you're like hitting all the buttons and you're like, "What? why isn't this working type of thing? And so <laughs> it's, slamming all yeah, the and, 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 and so, um, a, a few examples, people probably know like uh, Chuck Knobloch from the Yankees. He was a second baseman and that's the position closest to first base. And he couldn't get the ball to first base. He would go to throw the ball and, and his arm would lock up and he would either throw it in the dirt or throw it over the head and so it it's an absolute muscular piece that occurs and but it's it's connected to the brain and so the yips uh result in some physical movement that disables the performance all right i i work with people that have the yips on a a semi-regular basis. And the reason I'm saying semi-regular is because it, it shows up for people and kind of can go away. And it's not as predominant as some of the other areas that I might work with folks on. I, I, mostly work with individuals that struggle with, uh, performance anxiety, um, individuals recovering from injury and individuals that also have like really high, um, expectations of themselves and have high standards, maybe some would say have maybe some perfectionistic tendencies and that can interfere with their performance. So, uh, the YIPS are real. I work with them, but I also work with a whole bunch of different kind of, I don't know, elements that, that, folks, you know, appear with. Yeah.
0: The, um, perfectionistic tendencies. When you say that, I'm like, isn't that everyone? And then
1: I like, well, wait, no, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's me. Maybe. I'm the problem. <laughs> like,
0: I am selfishly interested in talking about that, but, performance anxiety and anxiety in general, I think is a term that we're very aware of now. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's very much talked about how would you define performance anxiety? And I know that probably presents differently for everyone, but kind of how does that show up?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, performance anxiety shows up both in the body as well as the mind. And so in the body, as I was talking about earlier, when I gave that golf example, you might have, uh, some, some nervous fight or flight, you know, uh, I don't know, not calling them symptoms, but experiences, everything from like, uh, the heart racing to, uh, some muscle tension to, to clammy hands to, uh, you know, but then also mentally you all, you often will have negative thoughts. You'll have, thoughts about something potentially bad happening uh, a bad outcome occurring so you know if you're if you're at bat as a baseball player you might be in the box facing a pitcher and you start feeling a little nervous and then your thinking starts to say well what if i strike out what if i let my team down you know and and you know what if what if what if which are these future thoughts that perpetuate some of the anxiety. And then what happens is you have a decline in your performance, right? That that individual that is worried about how they're going to perform and is hyper-focused on their uh, sensations at that time are probably going to strike out or do something that isn't performance-oriented. And so Performance anxiety is real. It's common. It's much more common than not. Um, I, I find it very fascinating when an athlete doesn't experience it. that, that yeah, that's that, wild. <laughs> yeah, that's literally in the one percentile type of space. Uh, most everyone has it and or experiences it based upon what level they're at and maybe where they're performing. Uh, but the good athletes know what it is, know what to do mentally, know what to do physically in order that they, it it doesn't impact them and they can kind of just perform the way that they've always trained to do. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where, uh, I would say the, the majority of my clientele are, is, is, is navigating that. Um, and often when folks come into the office, they, um, they practice really well. Uh, they perform in non-pressure situations really well, and then when they're at game time or it's a high-pressure situation, like we were talking about at certain junctures, that's when you'll see someone's potential drop. And whether it's the the client or the parent or the coach, they're like, hey, um, you know, they're not reaching their potential, and they understand that it's not a physical thing. They recognize yeah. that there's something either. Mental or just, and it's, and when I say mental, it's not, that's not being negative. That means just it's in the, it's in the mind or the emotions that they have to overcome in order for them to, you know, excel. And that's, that's my role is to help them, you know, do that.
0: It's probably one of the most frustrating things is being able to perform at practice and not being Uh able to replicate that, you know, the time that you're being judged on it. And really the time that we're told that kind of matters the most.
1: Absolutely. It, it can be so defeating, right? Yeah.
0: Like you've done all this work. I th- I think about um, CrossFit and like Olympic lifters. And that, right. and Olympic lifters is you get three attempts. And it's, it's a dynamic movement. Like you're putting a lot of weight over your head. It can be a little bit scary. And I'm always so impressed. I'm glad that you mentioned that they're like the 1% by the people who – they it doesn't affect them or the there's people that perform better than they practiced right and i'm like i mean it's probably like every elite crossfitter like at the crossfit games they all pr they all get new records that they've Mm -hmm. never done before and i'm like at a competition i'm obviously an average you know lifter i hope to get like 85 percent of like what i've ever done uh um that it's it's always crazy to me to see people that not only overcome it, but they can almost harness it.
1: Yeah, they can harness it. And and one of the things that I work with athletes and performing artists on, um, and as well as other sports psychologists do, is is understanding that some of the nerves and the anxiety that one is experiencing really is is good energy. It's energy for your your body's like ready to perform what it needs to perform. And that's that's a mindset shift. That's a that's a reframe for many f- because when when someone feels their heart racing or they you know notice some thoughts going or their muscles are tight, they might be going, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what's going to happen?" like, you know, and they start freaking out a little bit. And the the key is to understand that no your body is ready to perform this challenging event and that reframe really helps people understand like no this is not a bad thing or something to be scared mm-hmm. of like to your point i'm i'm going to lean into this like i'm going to this is my my body is revved and ready to go and now it's time to go execute it and and a healthy mindset will will approach it that way instead of the other tendency is like a a fear or an avoidance of mm-hmm. it, like oh, like just get get me out of here, get 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 rid like, of like I don't care what happens, thing. I just want yeah to be yeah ever. just I'm, I want to be off the stage, I want to yeah. be off the podium, you know, I want to be out of the gym type of thing. And and those that take this and lean into it, they they really do perform and excel the way that you need to.
0: I'm interested. So in a lot of sports it's it's very mental and it's often about like how willing are you to push yourself and and specifically again i think about like running and crossfit and some of those other sports where it's very physically demanding and that you have to really like embrace the pain <laughs>
1: little, and it's, it's going to hurt david goggins right
0: and like how much of it because there's the side of the performance anxiety of like everyone's watching and then i think there's also the side of performance anxiety of like this is going to hurt and not hurt in like an injurious way, but like, I'm gonna have to really push myself. Are, is there one that people are avoiding or is, are they having performance anxiety really because, because all of it, I think there's like the dread of, I'm gonna have to really like push myself. And there's also potentially the dread, maybe in baseball or golf or gymnastics of like people are are watching, are watching
1: Yeah, and I, I would say probably when people traditionally think about performance anxiety, it's more in the, in, Performing at a high level in front of others, or trying to achieve something that one hasn't achieved, which is mm. a little bit different. We, like you know, hey, I, I've got a, I've got to train, or I've got to endure mm-hmm. this, this pain and some of this misery, and and being able to get oneself mentally there to do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify that as uh, performance anxiety in the traditional sense, but it is a real issue. It is something that folks have to uh, especially in those more endurance oriented sports mm-hmm. have to learn how to embrace, I mean, and take on. Um, and, and so that's, that would be a different type of, uh, mm-hmm. approach, um, than someone that's coming in for what would you say? The traditional, you know, performance anxiety.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yep. for performance anxiety, what are some of the tools? What are some of the things that you teach people?
1: Yeah. Great question. The, I'm just. There's there's multiple tools that one can use um, for your listeners. I would I would I would stick with uh, two main things, and and if you could work from these two to start and get good at, you will find an improvement. Okay, one happens to be um, not focusing on the outcome. There, it is very easy for our brains and our minds to think about either what we want to achieve or what might happen, okay? Going back to the baseball player, uh, outcome could be a hit, it could be a home run, it could be a strikeout, all right? If your head is in those spaces, that is what I would call uh, future thinking based upon outcome, which absolutely interferes with what the individual has to do in the moment. And so getting away from outcome is a critical component. Um, a lot of times it's, it's very difficult when you talk about running and you talk about swimming, uh, they're time-based. So every athlete in those sports and track and field, they know the number that they are trying to achieve for their PR mm-hmm. or their PB and and so their energy becomes just around an outcome and that can do that can mess things up it, it you know you can start thinking like i've got to get this you can put extra pressure on mm-hmm. yourself and you are not taking care of what's needed in the moment to actually achieve the outcome and so let's go to the second thing, which is what you need to do in the moment in order to be most effective. Uh, some uh, some professionals uh, refer to this as WIN, the acronym acronym W I N, and it's what's important now, hmm. and putting your energies into those routines and processes that are gonna to lead to success is where you want someone mentally. Um, so let's go to the baseball player again. Um, we can use any example at any time. Um, we can do track and field, we can do whatever, but the baseball player, since I started that analogy, will will continue it. So a baseball batter in the box really needs to, the, the baseball batter in the box really needs to focus on what their job is at that juncture. and. The first things that they might do is get themselves situated in the box. They might dig in with their cleats and get a nice firm grounding and feel their legs. And so they sense and feel their legs rooted and their feet rooted into the earth because that's that stable base that they need. Okay. And then as they kind of get into their positioning after they do that, then they're tracking Mm -hmm. the pitcher that is their number one job is to be watching the pitcher and then most importantly as the pitcher releases the ball so they are visually again into the senses what's important now tracking that ball all the way towards their bat. You know, you've heard people say, you know, see the ball, hit the ball type of thing, making it very <laughs> simple. But but that's what people forget to do. Hmm. They get either ahead of themselves or they get behind themselves. And so you want to get into your senses. You want to um, take care of what you need to at that moment. For some, part of their routine is a good clearing breath where they're breathing from their abdomen, they're exhaling at the right time. And then they get into their senses to let their body do what they are naturally trained and skilled to do. Um, The key is kind of quieting the mind, Mm -hmm. getting into the senses and taking care of what's important right now is what you want to do. A swimmer might focus on initially uh, their entry into the water. That's, that's their goal. I I want to go in at this angle. They, they kind of see that. And then I want to go in, I want to do two kicks and, and kind of come to the surface and then initiate. And then from there, I want to feel the water. I want to feel the pull of the water. And, And so everything is about what the individual is doing in the moment in order to be successful. So it's, it's two things. It's letting go of outcome. And it's getting involved with your senses and letting your body do what it's trained and skilled to do, uh, kind of getting into the what's important now. So I, I'll keep it at that. We could add a whole bunch of other things like visualization and, and self-talk, uh, other tools that are part of the arsenal of a good mental uh, you know mindset. But that would take more time than we have at today. Yeah. So those two are really good ones that any athlete performing artist, uh, could just begin with and, and take, take hopefully some, I don't know, practice with it and mm-hmm. get, get, get better with it.
0: It sounds like those things have a lot to do with being present.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How much does a meditation and, and mindfulness practice
1: yes. play a role? Uh, that's, that's one of the things that I, I frequently refer to clientele to do is start a mindfulness and meditation practice uh, because it's, it's quieting the thinking. I mean, you do, you, you're not necessarily doing this. You, you might be mindful and present oriented when you're performing the sport, but the mindfulness practice takes place outside, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, you, you are, you are either listening to a guided meditation or you are just sitting and letting your mind go quiet and focusing on your breathing. And that type of training allows like thoughts to be less impactful to you. It, it allows you just to be part of your body, and and it it changes uh, even your emotional response to things. So mm-hmm. great, great point because mindfulness is absolutely a key part of the training. Nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've uh, heard, I am the sky, my thoughts are the clouds,
1: <sighs> and just you I, know, I like that.
0: watching them go by.
1: Yes, why? <laughs> <laughs>
0: they don't matter. Some sometimes they might, but
1: well, and and to your point though, some of the some of the uh, you know thoughts that show up could be an outcome thought or a negative thought, and we can't always control our thoughts that pop in to your head. So at any given juncture, something might just show up there, right? For me as well, for anyone, and so you can't like I don't know command the best thought mm. to pop up. But what you can do with mindfulness is to your point with the sky and the clouds is you can notice it and let that thought pass and let another thought or get into your body and in present oriented, you know, take place then. So that's that's really what you would be doing.
0: It also sounds like you mentioned a lot of people have like a, a um, some sort of ritual or routine And I think there's some people that use that as a, I have to do this every time so that I get the same outcome. And it's, I I don't know if that's- We can talk,
1: there there can be a problem with that. That, Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you're saying more of like, use it to bring yourself to the present moment and to ground and to focus on what's important, not- Oh, if I don't spin the ball in this way every time, Correct. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit it right.
1: Correct. Yeah. And and, and so what you just brought up, if if it, if it, that's overdone, where if you're spinning the ball so many times, and I I need to do this in order to make the shot, that's what we call a superstition, right? Yeah. And 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 <laughs> I get concerned with superstitions because they're they're like faulty equations. Like, just you can hit a shot, you can hit a free throw without spinning the ball. You yeah. know, three times, yeah. but but in some way you've convinced yourself that I need yeah. to do this, right? I need to is a bad bad terminology. Mm-hmm. So we we try to work the difference between a routine that centers yourself, that gets you present oriented, mm-hmm. that that grounds you, that that quiets your mind and quiets your body is different than uh, per se superstition.
0: Yeah, yeah. you mentioned perfectionism. High standards and focusing on results. How does that impact an athlete and their their performance and then also their performance outside of their sport too?
1: it It can happen on the field or on the court. Uh, I, I see it often happen like after the event a lot mm. where someone has high standards and uh, they don't perform to the level that they want to which potentially it could be unrealistic what they are expecting of themselves and then they can easily go into a a a funk where they're they're upset they're down they're they're angry they're they and that can eat away at their own self um, for a period of time so Perfectionism, if not, um, th- there's a really good side to perfectionism, which I'm gonna speak to in a second. Uh, everything's a you know, right. End, an, right? An edge. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You, you, sometimes your biggest strength is your biggest weakness oh, and yes, vice versa, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so high standards, if, if you are always working towards like the A plus, the amount of um, pressure that that can put on someone's shoulders, can easily learn, lean to uh, or result in burnout um, feeling overwhelmed uh, exhausted you know uh, f- folks wanting to even quit their sport because there's like I I've got to be here I've got to be here I've got to do this it's almost like this this demand and this push which can absolutely tire someone out from their sport, um, very easily because it's, it's a difficult space to, to hit. So it's something that we have to be, you know, mindful of the, the great thing about high achievers, driven individuals that have, you know, some of those perfectionistic traits is that they work really hard at their craft and that enables them to achieve things that others will, will never do. I mean, there's like a drive to deliver at a high standard that they hold themselves accountable to, and maybe they hold their teams accountable to, and, and thus they achieve a lot of times more than someone that doesn't have that. And so I wanted you to know there is this great aspect to yeah. that that high achiever driven. Um, it's It's when it kind of tips into perfectionism and everything's gotta be just right, and I have to perform at this level at all times It that is the dangerous space. So so with everything, there's there's a balance. And for those individuals that are working with me on that, we 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 look to create that balance. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that motivation, that drive going? Um, Because that's enabled you to achieve without it tipping the scales to a place where you're, you know, I don't know disappointed, upset, angry, yeah. and then, and then saying, uh, screw this, I'm not doing this anymore type of thing. Well,
0: then it probably starts to mess with their self-worth Yes. too. And like, I have to hit this standard or yep. I'm not enough. Yep. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. That- I
0: wonder like how often does someone not really know that they have these tendencies until they've kind of tipped?
1: Yeah. I would, say, I would say that's probably most And they're people. like, oh,
0: I've been doing this my whole life. What yes. do you mean?
1: Right, because that's been natural for them. It's yeah. been normal for them. And it might even be normal in terms of how they were raised or how they were coached. And so, you know, people come from to coaches hmm. and in certain sports like Gymnastics. Everyone is working towards a, oh, a yeah. ten, right? A perfect mm-hmm. score, right? It's
0: like not attainable. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: And so, so your coach could have ingrained that with you. The family of origin could easily have ingrained. So, the athlete or performing art- artists themselves m- might not even be aware. To your point, they're just that's how they operate until they hit, you know, a breaking point in some in some capacity, and then they have to reflect and look hey, how do I need to do this better? How do I need to operate where I can still leverage my drive, but not overwhelm my se- self-worth or burn myself out? And, and that's when they might be coming in to work yeah. with me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> It is kind of also, it sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy of, I, I have to work so hard to reach this standard. And a lot of the times, because they have that drive, they do reach the standard. So it's like, okay, if I just work that hard, I'll reach this standard, but it, it never, you know, it never ends. It's always a higher goal or higher standard.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I, I work often with individuals on is, is understanding their, their why and, Mm. and their values and, and why do they do the sport or the craft or, or their, their job as an entrepreneur or like, what is it about it? Like that they are there for and 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 sometimes as i do that work the individual realizes like i absolutely this is where i belong this is what i ought to be doing and and they continue in that space because their values align with what they're doing other times we look at that value work or the why and and we realize there's some disconnect like there's it's not it's not aligning in some mm-hmm. capacities and and so there's times when folks have to shift gears and, and do different things, maybe add more balance into their life. Not that they necessarily give up their sport, but they're like, hey, there's some really important things that I am excluding, I'm denying mm-hmm. myself in order to just perform at this level. Yeah. And, and, and then if they don't acknowledge that and understand that, then to your point, they, they can just be going from goal mm-hmm. to goal to goal and feeling unfulfilled, unfulfilled, unfulfilled. Even though they're achieving these things, it's just not connected to who they are. And and so a lot of times value work and, and purpose work is part of the psychologist approach, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. And why, why is this important to me and what is important to me? And, you know, if you are working that hard, it should be at least something that you feel fulfillment Absolutely, with. absolutely. Yeah. It's also I think about the way that our current athletic system is built is you do go from one thing to the next yes. and it's if you you got to make that team or you got to make that grade and then you got to get into college and then you got to get into grad school like it kind of lends itself to you're always kind of searching for the next thing. Yep. How how do you help? Like maybe what are some some simple ways that you can kind of start to to strike that balance?
1: Right. And I think there's a huge fear that that if I'm not practicing all the time, if I'm not training all the time, I am losing an edge to my competitors, right? And And yeah. so individuals will constantly train, constantly practice because of the elite nature of athletics and performing arts now that, you know, and and you you get told this like you, you've got to be out there training this yeah. amount of hours this amount of time and and that that lends itself to burnout um, and it also lends itself to that lack of balance and what I prefer is high concentrated periods of training training the the correct way as though you are performing and you are preparing to perform so it becomes more. Consolidated, and it doesn't just—it's just not pervasive all day, all week, all life. And and then you have other spaces for the balance and and meeting your, the values that are important to you. It, it makes me sad sometimes when I learn some of the athletes and artists that I work with, like they don't see their friends mm-hmm. at all. And you're like, you don't see your friends at all. I, I understand you don't go out and maybe party with your friends like maybe your collegiate, you know, peers yeah. are doing. All right, that's understandable. But you don't see them or spend any time because their life is consumed with training and trying to be the best. And And that, that makes me sad because they're they're denying themselves mm-hmm. in a really important component of their, their human connection and relationships. And, and, and thus... That becomes work. it's it, it's like all right, how do we design your life? How, not just how do we design your training regimen or your your headspace to perform well, but how do we design your life that it it incorporates you and achievement. So the end word is there, not just either or type of thing.
0: Yeah, I like the suggestion of consolidating it because I, I do I agree like you, you see these athletes, Their whole life is this sport and it's a tough balance when I think promoting hard work and promoting, I don't know if it's the the do whatever it takes mentality, but it's kind of like there's a mentality of, you said, I think you said David Goggins earlier, but like do the hard work and earn it. And are you willing to do whatever it takes and kind of like set yourself apart? But then there's also the side of like, you are more than than that.
1: You are more than just your, your 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 sport sport or your business or, you know, your, your favorite uh, whatever you're excelling Mm -hmm. in. And, and I, I think that's a a tremendous component because that the concern too, just from a performance standpoint is if you don't acknowledge that you very well are not going to perform at your best. I mean, and, or you're going to overtrain in Mm -hmm. some capacity. So if you, acknowledge yourself as a whole and, and take care of it in that way, then you've got more balance. You you can perform better, you know, Mm -hmm. at at the other end, as long as you're doing the right type of training Mm -hmm. for your sport during those consolidated periods. Right. And, and it's, it's really deliberate training. Like Uh, deep work. Yes, exactly. And if you do that, then you can create more of the other areas in your life. And mm. and 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 so that's how I would focus folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned those athletes who are like so afraid that taking any time off is gonna just like, you know, they're gonna lose their performance. Someone is going to outperform them. And right before this, I recorded an episode just just me talking, not not a rant, but a little bit, um, just a- about that and about we had a, a parent call. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this, who their kid was dealing with knee pain for months, and they wouldn't do anything about it. And said the words, "We don't have time to rest. We can't take the time to properly, you know, do PT. We practice every day. Yeah. Uh, what are you gonna do about it? It's like, oh no, no. Well, what if we took a couple necessary weeks off now, so that we don't have to take months off later? Good. And it was, um, but I mean, but I that
1: was that wasn't the parents' mentality. No. It was just like fix this and push through. Yeah, it, right. And
0: I, it's more common than like as a PT, I, I wish, you know, and um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because it's it goes very <laughs> against like what we're saying. And this poor kid is going to be dealing with knee pain and pot- potentially lead to something worse.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think the part of I don't want to misquote it, so I'm not even going to quote it. But but part of my recent reading and research was connected to how the body and the mind during recovery actually grows. Mm. And so it heals, as you know. Um, mentally, we, we absorb more information, the, the neurons and the synapses, like if we were to learn something or go through a performance and then just let it sit, it's like, it's like coffee percolating in some capacity. Like recovery is an absolute critical piece to high performance. And and thus parents and coaches need to understand that that rest, rehab, time off, will really make the athlete, performing artist, stronger, yeah. not weaker. Which mm-hmm. is that and and so helping to reconstruct that that narrative that a parent has, uh, but that might not happen immediately because their mindset is of the one way, but. Uh, maybe providing them with a little bit of research, or, or you know, letting them kind of see what it would be like. You could always recommend like an experiment. Hey, what? Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't going to be permanent. Why don't we try this for this amount of time? We'll see what happens. If this is a good regimen of this rest recovery and performance thing, we're going to continue it. If we find that it's not good, well, then we'll shift it. So if someone's a little bit shy to move into that space, you can always pose it in that, in that capacity, but it is what you're talking about is, is where more need to go.
0: Yeah. I think, um, there is, it's, it's tough when the, when the parents and the coaches, especially the coaches, man, um, have that mindset. And on that note, maybe, maybe it's not the athlete struggling, maybe they're struggling because the parent or the coach has these really really high standards or perfectionistic tendencies how would you help that relationship and and how would you help manage that
1: yeah i mean there there are times when i have to work with parents and coaches there there's that's that's we we have teams some people like if you look at a professional athlete now they literally have a team like oh, they've got yeah. the, they've got the physical therapist mm-hmm. they've got the massage therapist they got the sports psychologist right they got the physical coach the nutritionist yeah. right so it's it's absolutely and it's designated that way but but even for a high school student there's a team that's working with that individual and that includes the parents that includes a coach probably a, a physical coach. And then if they're leveraging, uh, the mental training aspect, you know, uh, the mind coach in some way, and then the, the physical therapist kind of taking care of the body. So th- that team exists. The job is, I would say of, of all of them, there should be a responsibility to communicate mm-hmm. amongst everyone and to be able to understand like Make sure that you're you all are in alignment together yeah. around things saying
0: the same thing, saying yeah. the same
1: things, not giving mixed messages to the to the athlete. and then also, for me, it would be, hey, we've got I gotta meet with the coach. I gotta meet with the parent, um not just with the athlete if if I notice or hear from the athlete that that is th- there is a disconnect mm-hmm. or there's. Unrealistic expectations or demands that are happening, then, then it's time for me to work with uh, one of the team (laughs) members. (laughs) That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, these kids and and youth athletes and athletes in general are are being influenced by so many different people, especially someone who's younger who who is probably just listening to Mm -hmm. what others are telling them to do. Sure. That like making sure that that impact is not just well-intentioned, but also I think well-executed uh, is is really important. I love that you use the word leverage in leveraging. You said mind coach, uh-huh. because I really think it it should be something that you use in terms of performance that you don't just wait until you're struggling, that you can really leverage this. You know, we always forget about our mental capacity, and we just talk about physical and physical health, but it is a huge part, sometimes more than physical in sports that I think it can really set people apart.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and even though it's like, in my opinion, gotten over like a number of hurdles, for some, it still has a stigma, like, Mm -hmm. you know, So does
0: physical therapy. Physical therapy
1: still has a, you know, so it, it, I mean, it's much better. I mean, back in the day, it was, it was, it was way intimidating. You're crazy. There's something wrong with you yet, you know, then you learn like, oh, the best athletes have leveraged sports psychologists or physical therapists. It was like their
0: secret the whole time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They, they didn't tell anyone, but guess what? That, that helped (laughs) them get to the place they were. Right. You know, and you're like, oh, okay. But, um, that so it's not as much of of that anymore, thank goodness. But for some, it is, and you know, I would encourage you if you've if you've been debating it either for yourself or for your child, you know, or for for your uh, player, you're a coach, and you, you know, you've hesitated. Uh, don't hesitate anymore, you know, reach mm-hmm. out to a certified mental professional consultant, a sports psychologist, someone that can uh, assist you and your team and your athlete in being their best. Um, Cause you want them best for their, their sport or their art or their, their business. And, but you also want them, you want them to be the best for themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a, that's a gift that you can give them and it's going to help you also to If, if you are the parent or the coach or, or the teammate to be, to be even stronger for that person too, you
0: know? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's about their, their long-term health. Yes. Yeah. Um, Not just their, you know, were they able to practice on that Tuesday night It's like, well, were they able to practice in a few years because they were still healthy? Right. You mentioned and kind of, you know, segue into, you work with a lot of athletes who are dealing with an injury or maybe have dealt with an injury in the past. What role does sports psychology play in the, in the injury and rehab process?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, I would say if, if someone's coming in to meet with me for like ACL injury or whatever injury that they've had surgery for, or it's, it's held them back there. There often is a, um, uh, a rehab, physical rehab piece, but then there's also a mental hurdle to come get over because a lot of times there's a, uh, a perception that their 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 joint, their their bone, their ligament is not healed fully, and there's hesitancy to put pressure on it or to go 100% percent And so there's a there's a component of uh, helping that individual to adjust and understand that in, in slow increments that they are healthy. So that's that's something that, you know, we work with athletes on doing. I would say if someone has an injury, probably the most important things that you can start with are, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't want this to sound clinical, but it's really fundamental, is is normalizing and validating some of the stages of grief that someone is going through i mean yeah. th- this is a loss they're they're out of their sport like an
0: identity crisis. yeah they're, they're
1: injured you know they're they're frustrated that they, they potentially if they're not dealing with some of this they could they could get depressed or they could be really angry and irritable those things happen when an injury occurs and uh, a good, you know, uh, consultant will help that individual normalize those feelings, mm-hmm. talk through them, kind of be able to make sense of it and, and realize, oh, I'm feeling this way or I'm acting this way because of what happened. It's, yeah. it's like, it's legitimate. Then another step is to help them stay involved with the sport. There, there are times mm-hmm. when. I don't know. They get recommendation from the doctor or, or their coach or their I don't know parent. You know, just stay at home. Mm. But it's it's good to be on the on the sidelines with the team, mm-hmm. right? And to to maintain that that connection and that relation, and because there is meaning and value for that that athlete there. So do that, and then also uh, just from a skill standpoint, even though maybe the athlete as they're recovering can't perform their their full movement they could be working on other skills to build their uh competence where they are not maybe further injuring themselves Mm -hmm. so i don't know if if a um i don't know a a basketball player uh, broke their ankle right they instead of just having them do rehab at home Mm -hmm. in an ideal situation they would remain a part of the team, and during practices, they might be doing skill building, sitting in a chair by dribbling the ball. They might, they might set some goals and some objectives, left hand, right hand, how to like dribble certain ways, so they are still remaining competitive, still remaining engaged, doing their kind of, uh, I don't know, involvement, but, and they're not further injuring themselves. I mean, so there's, there's a bunch of different techniques that you can help an injured athlete, um, navigate the injury. Um, and I think the, the last thing probably would be, uh, managing expectations that others or the athlete might have around, mm-hmm. you know, it being all well, uh,
0: A little prematurely,
1: right? And and helping them to understand that that might not always be the case. Yeah.
0: One of the biggest things we struggle with is when athletes are told by their, you know, a a doctor, surgeon, or another provider, you're cleared to return. Yep. When it really means you're cleared to start practicing to return. There you go. So then they go full force. And then, and, and then they re-injure themselves And yeah. they they hear those words. And of course, like, and I understand they're excited and they're like, I can return, but it's like, no, we are seven to eight months post-op ACL. We now have the permission to start incorporating, you know, your sport back in. Right. And I, I think something else that you mentioned, so many people, especially even just someone who has shoulder surgery, they forget about the rest of their body. For months, and they're told rest, so they're in a sling or they're in a boot or they're in, a, they're on crutches, and they forget all of the ways to train the mm-hmm. rest of their body. Yes, and so now not only do we have an issue of you haven't been able to work on your performance, now you're actually weaker, and now you're actually deconditioned, and like now this has turned into kind of like a a health and metabolic problem and it's all well intentioned to protect the tissues but it's like there's so many things that we could be doing to maintain and then also to improve like you said
1: right right and what what do you what do you recommend do you recommend they stay physical in some of the like i gave an example of basketball and dribbling even though they're not on their foot what what do you recommend? oh
0: yeah I, it de- definitely depends on the injury but i recently worked with someone who had a rotator cuff repair um on his Right arm. And so everything we did, we just did with his left arm. And you can do dumbbell squats and dumbbell deadlifts. And we use the bike, but just one side. Or there's uh-huh. some cool um, modifications you can make on um, when someone has a, like a foot or ankle injury on the rower. You know, there's just so many different modifications that, of course, like that athlete or that person that's not their whole job to think about. No, they don't
1: think. No, but that's <laughs> yeah. that's what you think about, and yeah. <laughs> and and then helping them to to make sure that that's part of their training regimen is like yeah. that that's operating, yeah.
0: Or like the the ACLer who tears. Their other side at the end because they've been so focused on one leg, on the one leg. that they forgot about their other side. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so thank you for confirming my biases. Good, there. <laughs> good. <laughs> Keep moving for We're, sure. You all
1: like confirmation bias, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: We've also, you've mentioned burnout a few times. And I think that that's something that everyone, that's a word that everyone kind of throws around now. And everyone's, yeah. uh, especially as a business owner and employer, like I am aware of and also afraid of. What does burnout really mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
0: what is it? What, like, how does well, it it's, look?
1: I mean, burnout is, is a physical and psychological condition where you're, you know, eg- exhausted, um, depleted in some capacity. And so you start to, you'll see certain behaviors and certain, like, uh, signs that someone is experiencing. And so whether it's, whether it's you or whether it's one of your clients or athletes, um, one one of the biggest uh, indicators is a degree of apathy, where the individual just doesn't care that much about their sport or or their business. Like some of the 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 joy that was once there just isn't. Um, and you might hear them say some things like, ah, "I don't know if I want to do this anymore," or they might start missing practices, or um, you know, they they might be start doing things that are uh, counter to their training. And so, this low level apathy, I would say, is a is a huge indicator of uh, something's going on here, right? This is not the same, you know, athlete that I worked with earlier that was pumped up, so thrilled, couldn't wait to train, was excited about their games, you know, was just, you know, alive and all of a sudden now that's not. So I pay attention to apathy because that's a that's an indicator that someone is is, you know, potentially burning out. Um I like to look at that one the most if there's Changes in relationships, or changes for a student in grades, uh, if a, for a professional, if there's changes in their performance at work, those are indicators that there might be burnout happening as well. Um, my, the first step would be to to have conversation with the individual but but not don't call it out don't be like are you burned out you look
0: burned you're out you're
1: burned out like you, what an insult yeah yeah we're not we're not throwing labels um, here yeah. we're not we're not i mean check in with them hey mm-hmm. how are you doing you know i noticed you know you you seem a little not as into the sport as you were as before or you know what it, it you don't seem as excited is there you know and if you have the relationship with them and the trust with them hopefully yeah. they would be able to talk to you about like know what they're experiencing um you know now for me when i work with an athlete or performing artist i have like a safe confidential space yeah and they feel comfortable being honest and open if i've developed that relationship uh not not everyone has that so you might not get that from the individual per se but but try and check in and you you'll start to hear if there's burnout happening you know they've been training too much they'd rather not do it. They, they're, they're getting tired of it, the sport or whatever it might be. And then, and then you might start to redesign kind of similar to what I was talking about earlier. Like how can we create maybe some more balance or how can mm. we, as you were talking about before, how can we just take a break? You mm. know, let's, uh, you know, professional golfers, uh, oftentimes they do it less now.
0: But, yeah, of course. but they used
1: to, they used to put the clubs down, like
0: have an off season. Off a season, wild thought, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: and and what is that? You know, what do they do? They go fishing. They go snowboarding. They, <laughs> they enjoy they, their they, life. They, yeah. yeah, I mean Tiger Woods goes spear fishing or something like <laughs> Tiger that. Tiger Woods does a lot of things. Yeah, right. Well, he does a lot. Of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got a lot of extracurricular. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: but like put the put the clubs down or whatever it is in in your area and and just take a break from it. Um, n- nothing. And, and if you somehow have a desire that you want to maybe watch it a little bit or or even if you want to practice it a little bit, but that has to just be an internal thing. Not a not a compulsion because that's your habits or someone else is telling you you've got to do it. So you're allowed to dabble back into your area but but that's like a self-generated organic thing yeah. that you would allow someone to do. but otherwise, you know, clubs down and mm-hmm. take that break. Helps people come back refreshed. And that's but that's professionally too. I mean, that's that's why physicians and others go on sabbaticals. They mm-hmm. they take breaks to come back rested and rejuvenated. And I I think we this is a generalization, but I think we don't do enough of that, you know, oh, yeah. in the United States. No, right? we definitely don't. I mean, yeah.
0: I don't know what your thoughts are, and just like the youth athlete culture maybe especially here in Charleston, because that's what I'm aware of. But I know, especially with soccer, there's no off season and and they play. They play all weekend. They practice all week. Their off season is like a week in the summer unless they're elite. And then they've made this other tournament. And I'm like, you're 14. If professional athletes take time off, why do you feel like you can't? Right. And and that you shouldn't.
1: Right. And usually that's that's it goes back to some narrative or mm. equation that they've built internally that doesn't have any evidence behind, And but they're living to it. Oh, like, yeah. like, I must practice. I need to practice. Mm-hmm. I need to go all year round in order to be the best. And that's that's not the case. That So there needs to be some reconstruction of that narrative to what is more factual and actual, not you know, uh, subjective or, or kind of pulled out of thin air. And, and, and that can be a job that you do. Obviously it's a job that I have to do Mm -hmm. in order to help, you know, athletes take that needed rest and recovery. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a mind shift. It is.
0: Yeah. It's like a rat race too. They're like, well, they're doing it. She plays all year round. I know. know?
1: I know. And you're trying to, you're trying to keep up with the the Joneses. Oh yeah. Right.
0: I have to know, is there any sport that you see the most athletes from? Like, is there one sport that just kind of fosters maybe some of the things that we've talked about?
1: Uh In this, I see mostly individual sports. Okay. okay? And it's a mix, but I see less um, like team sports. Now I've worked with teams and, and still do. I work with like softball teams and baseball teams and soccer teams. But I, I I rarely get like a, a left halfback on a soccer team, <laughs> yeah. you know, or yeah. uh, just uh, I feel like a
0: goalie though. That would be a that, really stressful position. That, that's
1: exactly right. So yeah. on, on the team sports, there are individual elements. Mm-hmm. So a goalie for hockey and for soccer and for lacrosse, I see plenty of them because that's you in the net. You've got to protect that net. and and you, even though you're part of a team, you're yeah. it's you, right? I'm like a kicker. Uh, that's it. Yes, yeah. that's the other one. So in football, you see you see the kickers and you see the punters and you see the quarterbacks because that happens to be very uniquely individual and pressure oriented. Um, but then the individual sports where I'll see a lot of folks end up to be, uh, track and field. It'll be uh, golf and tennis. Uh, it it will be baseball pitchers and, and batters. I mean, yeah. anyone is going to bat, but those that are real hitters. So mm-hmm. all the individual um, swimmers, uh, very common. Um, and then of course, in the performing arts, so much of like dance and gymnastics and um, musicians, it often is an individual piece. So I see a lot of performing artists because that's, um, well, it's just more of a mental game when you're on your own versus, you know, relying on the team for the the overall performance, so.
0: Those positions that are kind of like high pressure, how much of that is kind of like biased and self-fulfilling of the person who becomes a quarterback might thrive under pressure, or they they do well with the attention, and so you like you're putting someone in this in the situation who already has these tendencies, and that position kind of brings it more out of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's is, I'm that, like that, that, does no, that happen? That does. <laughs> I mean, that, people gravitate to yeah. positions that they can that they can handle. I mean, so a goalie is a different po- position, like in soccer, than like the. The, the center or the left back. Mm-hmm. I mean there's there's more responsibility, there's more focus on that and and so and of course a quarterback that's like the oh, like yeah. the biggest example and I, I do think what you just said like their personality or their comfort level, either one or both uh, allows them to potentially play that quote unquote maybe more important position uh, more so than others mm-hmm. you know and and so yeah, you're wise. There you go. (laughs) There you go.
0: How much are you watching football these days?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, since it's come on, quite a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. um... Are you
0: a fan? Do you have a team?
1: I, my, now UK is, is my team. So I am, but they are, they are not as good as some of the other, you know, squads out there. Well, what uh, about
0: uh, NFL, even NFL team?
1: um, No, right now I am, I'm doing fantasy. Um, So I I have, I have individual players. Oh, you you have a
0: full team. I've got a
1: full team, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) but it is not one. Who's your quarterback? uh, I got Josh Allen right
0: now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you have? I have Joe Burrow. And I was going to ask oh, you no. what's going on with Joey. <laughs> so I am i uh, I'm a huge LSU fan, obviously huge Joey B fan. And I've drafted him in the third, the third round, which everyone is like, Hannah, you're so dumb, but I, I needed him. I didn't want anyone else to have him. And I'm like, dude, what are we doing? Yeah. And I'm like, how much of it is he was just given the biggest contract in NFL history. And I'm like, You're not performing like you are. Like (laughs) how much of that is is maybe um, performance anxiety?
1: Yeah, no, it could be. And and uh, like, can you go talk to him? No, but yeah, but for me to answer, like, I'd have to, I'd have to get to, I'd have to know, like, 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 like understand all the factors that are affecting him right now. And it very well, it could be too much pressure. Maybe there is too much on his shoulders. But it could be, it could be a zillion other things too. Well, he
0: was hurt, but I'm just like, yo, Joey B, we gotta, we gotta get together. Last question. Or
1: you got to get to the trade block, either one.
0: No, I will never. Oh,
1: you're not going to let him go? Huh?
0: I am pretty loyal. Wow. Yeah, to, to him. All the other ones, they can go.
1: But <laughs>
0: as a mental health professional and just a health professional in general, what is something that you make sure that you do regularly to take care of yourself?
1: Oh, good question. Um, Well, you, we were talking about the, the chill this morning. So... Well, not the 62 yeah. <laughs> degree. <Frigid. show. laughs> it, was, yeah. it was absolutely freezing. Yeah, I wore a long sleeve shirt this morning. Mm-hmm. So every, every morning I've got a routine of taking care of myself physically, which also takes care of myself mentally. So that's, that's a component of my, uh, balance, uh, for, for both productivity as well as health. And so You know, like three days a week, I run uh, three days a week. I do E2M circuit training and uh, one day I do like yoga. And so that is my routine every day. So that's one thing that I do. And then um, because I tend to be sitting with the work that I do often uh, I make it a priority to go for walks on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So I get outside the building, you know, outside my house, that'll be like after meals or um, just after sitting for too long. And I, I just get around to to breathe, to clear, to get into a better space. And so those are, those are two things that I think add uh, a lot. And then, you know, talking about all the, the balance pieces earlier, I do my best to create space for those things that are true to me and 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 play in those spaces, not not just do the professional work all the time. So I would say those things hopefully contribute to me being, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you're
0: doing pretty good for sure. Yeah. Where can our followers find you and connect with you?
1: Okay. So yeah, if you were looking, you would go onto the website, www.performanceinsight. And it's spelled as is the word performance. And then the word insight. There's Uh, no like Z in there. No, There's no no dash, (laughs) no Z. It's I-N-S-I-G-H-T.com and or you could call me uh, and my number is, I, I won't leave it right yeah. now on the podcast, but all the contact information, um, email, you know, phone, feel free to reach out. And <clears throat> I typically do what you would call like uh, a discovery meeting, either myself or one of my staff would uh, have a conversation with you for about like 20 minutes to mm-hmm. see uh, either what you or the athlete that you're, you know, wanting to get that support uh, with if it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then then we'll provide recommendations and or referrals to see, you know, w- where would be the best one. But if it is a good fit, then then it's just a matter of scheduling time and beginning the the process of working together, you know, and Adding, adding one of us to the team.
0: Love it. Yeah. yeah. Are you on Instagram?
1: Um, I am not. I know, listen. <laughs> How many times got, have you been told? I've got to get better. You <laughs> know, you're doing great. You're doing great. I just
0: always love to know.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: maybe, uh, maybe this time next year.
1: I need. I need. I need a good. Uh, yes. Now I will get calls for this. I need a good social media. There expert, you go. <laughs> and the next thing you know,
0: <laughs> somebody's gonna reach out. So I'm sorry exactly. about that. exactly. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming
1: on. Hannah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: As always, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn. And I'd love if you could give us a follow or shout out on Instagram. Otherwise, I hope you have a great rest of your day and a wonderful week.